Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of QSR Uncut. I'm your host, Danny Klein, the editorial director here at QSR Magazine. And so this week, you know, as we often do here, we are going off the operator path into the world of technology and labor in this case, which I think go hand in hand a lot these days, which is nice, and I think a reflection of what is happening in the industry and some exciting things. I will briefly explain how I came to uh, first be introduced to One Huddle, which that kind of gives away the fact that uh, founder and CEO Sam Cayuchi, I tried to get that right before we got on air here. <laughs> I think I was close, um, is joining us. But, you know, I was talking to an operator one time, we were doing kind of like a roundtable meeting, and he just said that One Huddle was badass, um, which I've never heard about a vendor. Um, not to say there aren't badass vendors out there, but that's a pretty good explanation of, uh, you know, what's going on and also why I wanted to learn more. So, Sam, thank you for joining us. Um, you know, we really appreciate the time. If you want to maybe just introduce yourself, how the camp company came to be. I know the story, you know, really had roots that did not begin in the restaurant industry and has kind of found its way to be an application there. So if you want to take us through the beginning, we'll go from there. Oh, let's do it. Thanks for having me, Danny. You know, One Huddle, you know, really started, uh, you know, like any good startup story, I just got kind of pissed off one day <laughs> and decided that yeah. I wanted to change, I wanted to change something, uh, you know, not, uh, I don't want to say as far as change the world, but I had, I had worked in a variety of environments, always in a coaching and training and development setting, uh, had, you know, hiring sales reps, hiring service reps, hi hiring hospitality folks, and I felt like training and development was a real pain point, really a challenge to get somebody to just hire from kind of zero to 60 as fast as possible, especially in environments with like a restaurant or a hospitality brand where getting people to contribution and service is important. So um, the idea was, how do you make something like training and development, not just something that uh, is more fun and uh, engaging, something you want to do, badass, you might say, but also something that's, a, that's effective, you know, something that as you do it, you get better at your job. And I just felt like the way that we teach workers is sort of rooted in an academic era. It feels like you're back in, you know, back in middle school when you get hired by most companies, they give you a manual and they hope you read it. They build videos and they hope you watch it. And, you know, we wanted to build a platform that as you use it, you get better. As you use it, you get better connected to your people. Um, and as you, you know, and you, and you, like you said, you, you want to do it when you wake up in the morning. Yeah, right. The training videos, um, <laughs> that model was, uh, it reminds me a lot of the videos you used to watch in middle school where they try to teach you some sort of life lesson and then you walked away forgetting exactly what you saw. And that's a pretty scary thing in a restaurant that you have employees who didn't pay attention at all to what you were trying to teach them. <laughs> Yeah, there's yeah, a lot of uh, friction there. Yeah, it's the, and I think you know again, it's it has nothing to do with the content, has nothing to do with the material you're trying to communicate. But um, you know, I I, I you know imagine the fact that you know we're living in a world where where people are on their phone more than they're on a desktop. They're on the go. They're trying to perform their ta their job and manage you know life and before they clock in and after they clock out. It, it just isn't real. You know, it's not realistic to expect a worker to 
know, elbow up to a that IBM ThinkPad you have locked in the back room and, you know, click their way through something just to say that they're quote trained. And, um, you know, I think there's, there's a better way and that's kind of what we're doing. We have over 120 companies now using our platform. We're from, you know, major restaurant brands like Doghouse and, uh, Front Burner Society and uh, Tau Group all the way to the U S Air Force and Madison Square Garden. So super wide and, you know, it's it's a fun. I think it's 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 an exciting time to hear people talking a lot more about their people. You know what I'm saying? That's kind of what the most exciting part of the moment is for us. Yeah, I mean, okay. So before I get into asking actually how the platform works, um, you know, talk about that idea that what you just mentioned there. I've seen some videos you post online about it. The fact that we are talking a little bit more about what employees actually want from the companies they work for now, and that. You know, it seems like a lot of times it's an overcomplicated um, explanation, you know, from some of the companies who are trying to understand that. But I mean, from your perspective, what are, you know, what is the disconnect? You know, why is the turnover so high in the restaurant industry in particular? I mean, one of the better employers out there last year, we were talking close to 200%, you know, turnover, which, you know, was a little bit related to you know, Omicron and a lot of these other things, but still, you know, it's a relatively alarming number, you know, as you're trying to actually grow a brand to deal with that. Yeah. You know, Gallup amongst their 10 million studies, they come out every, you know, come out with every two weeks. It feels like they had a, they've had a, a pretty constant customer survey they do and they've done it for the last three decades. And one of the things that they ask, uh, specifically to workers is, is they're asking people that are leaving what, you know, why? And then they do this whole exploration around why a worker is choosing a different path or voluntarily quitting and leaving. And as part of that interview, as part of the interview process, one of the things that comes up is this question around, do you feel your manager cares about you personally? And in the recent release in August, only 24% of workers, frontline workers, by the way, low wage frontline, 24% said that they believe their manager cared about them personally. It's the lowest number ever on record in three decades that they've been doing it. And I think it's part of an alarming trend of, I mean, listen, workers have always struggled with being engaged. That's not new. COVID made it worse. Um, but I think we're living in a moment where people that go to work every day expect more out of work than just the work. And it's putting a strain on not necessarily leadership, but the frontline manager who comes to work every day and kind of has to rally the troops uh, at work. And that strain, I think, is, um, is, is you know, starting to, you know, starting to be really strained in a real way. I think that part of this is a structural problem. You know, organizations put managers and management roles without coaching and development uh, training to teach people how do you how do you be a great coach how do you train and coach people the right way and without that mentorship I think you're saying frontline workers to your point what's the disconnect if the frontline doesn't feel like they you know uh, I think I said this to you when we met a bunch of weeks ago you know when I when we were when I was younger we were coming up so to speak a manager could could Tell us why after the fact. Could say, hey, Sam, go do this. And then later could explain to me why. That model just doesn't work anymore. 
you know, workers want to yeah. know the why first. They want to understand how it connects to the mission and everything else around the around the organization. And I think that's where the disconnect is. I think you have too many people saying, I want you here to do this, and they don't tell them why. And that's just not working anymore. Yeah, you know, I was actually talking to someone uh, about that recently where it used to be kind of all all you were really worried about was making your boss happy. <laughs> it's like you were you were working to, you know, please whoever your superior was at all costs and now not at all what's happening, you know, and even even as managers, I mean, I I've, I've realized that I've got to understand that because I can't just expect someone to want to sort of make, you know, me proud of what they're doing or to feel like, you know, they're trying to, you know, look good so that I give them a good reference or whatever it might be. Like that doesn't really seem to be the motivation that it was for me. Like when I first started and I was basically, you know, we, we kind of talked about Madison Square Garden as my first job. They paid me $25 a week, you know, but I worked crazy hours because I was just worried what the one guy was wanting. <laughs> You know, nowadays, if I did that, I don't think it would work out that way. Um, you know, if I went back in time and I started tomorrow, you know, I don't think he'd have that kind of power that he does now or he did then. Yeah, I think that there's um, that role has become more complex. It's not it's no longer just, you know. Put in the work. And I mean, I remember my first job, I was an unpaid intern, worked 50 hours a week. And I said, I just want to gain experience. You know, that that is right. uh, that is not common anymore. And I think we, you know, it's just a different, it's different. So I, I try to think about the fact, how do you build an environment? Because the best restaurant brands, the best hospitality brands, venues, Madison Square Garden, you know, they're, if they're going to win in this sort of next phase of the future of work, they're going to have to be really good at building environments that people want to participate in. And participation doesn't just mean coming to work, doing your job, going home. It means um, contributing to the brand. It means uh, challenging best practices. You know, sometimes we're gonna, we see it with training and development teams in restaurants, you know, that HR person at corporate thinks it happens one way, but they haven't worked the line in decades. So, I mean, the person on the front line has a different view of what things are. So I think that, you know, it comes down to communication on the front line, tapping in to, to, to a workforce that touches your customer every day. And again, it, I think it's clear as day, and you probably see it with so many restaurants and brands you talk to, the ones that that are on the front line connected in that way, they just get different results. Right. You know, and I'll, I'll say this kind of fitting into, you know, what you all do. You know, one thing that I hear very often that's effective is, you know, again, going back to the garden, you know, I remember for me, it was like, this job sucks, but I'm working for Madison Square Garden, so that's cool. You know, now a lot of what I hear isn't so much like I'm working for this restaurant, that's cool. It's more about who they work with. You know, they're very interested in the almost, uh, you know, I was talking to Portillo's about this a few weeks ago, you know, this idea that people come to work and they have a best friend or there's this sort of sense of community or culture or whatever it might be that people enjoy coming to work, not just because of the, they're going to work for Portillo's, but because of the other people who work there, you know, and them understanding in their hiring process, sort of the type of person that they're looking for. So 
I mean, with one huddle, I mean, what are, what are you all doing in terms of the connection? I mean, walk us through a little bit of what the platform does. Obviously, you're not going to give away trade secrets here, but just in terms of, you know, what you're doing to kind of change this game a little bit. Sure. Yeah, we think that, so one huddle is a game platform and we turn training, development, coaching, content into mobile games. So think of it as Duolingo. Trivia crack, quiz up, whatever your favorite kind of trivia style game is, um, but training for your job. You know, so a new bartender would uh, learn cocktail menu, would go through serve safe training, would uh, prepare to understand the culture by competing with their colleagues on a series of two to three minute quick burst games. Uh, the platform is highly competitive. You know, we always say you win or you learn on one huddle. So uh, it's it's uh, in many ways challenges the idea that learning is passive. It's very active on the platform. So you learn through failure. You learn through struggle. You learn through competing against other people and other roles across your organization. And, you know, so that's that's kind of the core. That's the core of 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 the platform. And on your point of connection, this is really interesting. Because a game, a game for us is like a module, you know, so for folks out there that have modules and chapters and courses, a game is really like a module or a chapter in a book. The number one game series uh, in 2022 to date across all of our hospitality and restaurant brands, number one game is on uh, community, on each other. So if you worked at Tau Group, yeah, you could play games on ServeSafe. You could play games on their menu. You can play games on your steps of service. But the number one game on their platform is the game at Lavo when you play a game to learn about each other. And the game has headshots of who is Danny and who's the bartender and who's the general manager and where'd he go to college and where is he from? Those are far and away some of the games we get the best feedback on, the most engagement in. And I think it's it reinforces your point that People coming to work right now care about the person next to them. They want to, if they're connected, they bring, you know, they care more. If they care more, they put more in. Um, and if they put more in, then they start playing all the other games that, as leadership, we want them to play. Like we want them to be great at steps of service. We want them to be great at understanding tasting notes. We want them to be great at, um, you know, all of their compliance and safety content. But we're not force feeding it to them, you know. On our platform, you know, you're engaging with content in a voluntary form, fashion, which generally gets the most, um, or the most out of people. Yeah, you know, I have a philosophical view on why this is a thing. <laughs> I think that the way that the social networks have uh, cultivated communication now, you know, really sort of lends us into a world of belonging, you know, or VIP sort of status and whatever we want to belong to. And I think this is very true of media and how I try to look at it sometimes is that I think people in what they read, what they write, what they educate themselves are often thinking about who else is reading, writing and educating themselves with this. And am I one of those types of people? And oftentimes, like I had read this in the like it was a book about The Economist, which was not an exciting book, by the way. But the idea was that a lot of people read The Economist, not you know necessarily because that 
off the bat interested them, but they read it because they wanted to be like somebody else reading The Economist. (laughs) So what I think has happened a lot in life in restaurants and companies is that if you get there and the people around you are miserable or, you know, somebody who complains about everybody working there, then you probably are trying to get out. But if you get in there and it's a group full of people that you want to associate with and to your platform, I think they're going looking for that. You know, do I want to get to know this person? Is this person like me or do I align with this kind of group of, you know, people? And then I want to be a part of it going forward. That was a long version of what I'm thinking. (laughs) But, you know, I always use like, you know, example of, uh, you know, like people who think the world is flat now. You know, you can just go and join a Facebook group, get on an email letter, and you could just suddenly be in a world of world is flat people. You know, you don't really need someone telling you you're an idiot now. <laughs> and it's kind of a change in the way that information exists in this world. And a lot of it is about the club or the tribe, so to speak. Yeah, we need more people telling you you're an idiot. We need that. I agree with that. <laughs> I know. But it, 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 it's I the agree. same thing. Yeah. It's the same. It's the same thing for us. You know, the on on one huddle you may play a game you've never seen before. Let's say, you know, you're a restaurant brand and we have a new menu that drops tonight. And I need to get everybody to know that before service. Well, what's the old way of doing it? You print out a one pager and hand it out. You know, you do your stand up and say it to everybody while they're texting on their phones, (laughs) standing in a circle. So with us, you can create a game, you can push it out to people and they can engage with it before service. And what we, you know, what you see is two things. You see one that people play to beat each other. They learn in the process. But I'm logging in because I got to beat Danny today. I can't. Danny can't beat me right. again. You know. And then the the second thing is I log in as I do it. I'm gonna I'm gonna try and fail at some stuff. I'm gonna struggle a little bit, and it's through the hard stuff, you know, the tough feedback, the critical stuff that you get better. And I think sometimes, you know, we make things too easy on our people. I think sometimes that, you know, as a leader, like the best manager is a leader. The best leader is a coach and coaches, you know, coaching is the, you know, coaching is teaching and teaching is the ability to inspire learning and coaches challenge their people every day, not because they told them to do it because they said so, but because they know that in doing it, they'll be in a better position to get where they want to go too. And I think that is, keep going back to this concept of community and connection and where's the disconnect. It's, it is all about people. And it's that mindset, I think, that uh, I believe optimistically is shifting. Although, yeah. you know, we need more folks subscribing to that point of view than just buying a robot that'll flip the burgers for us. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Um, not that I don't enjoy the stories about the robots flipping the burgers, but... Um, <laughs> So when uh, when did restaurants come into the picture? Because I know that wasn't the initial you know situation for you. Um, the application makes all the sense in the world, but when when did that first become a thing? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, you mentioned Madison Square Garden; they were customer number three for us, and uh, our first ten or so customers were all sports brands big venues, you know, San Francisco 49ers, Washington Capitals, uh, LA Rams, 
And they were bringing one huddle on to train their sales force because these organizations spend a lot of money on training and development to get their sellers in a position to win. And about a year into it, I remember being in, in and I was at, I think it was at the Verizon center in DC and coming out of the arena after a game. And I was surprised, you know, we're a mobile tool. And as an app, we can reach every worker. That's part of our mission is how do you make sure every worker has a chance to compete? But I was I was surprised that at that time, the only people that used one huddle were the 30 young people that worked in ticket sales and the five or six that worked in guest services. There's 1,800 people that go to the Verizon Center every day for work from security to ushers to, to concessions uh, to game day staff. and it was that sort of revelation because we started to say, realize that there's opportunities for the frontline worker if you give them the same tools, the same systems, and the same access. Why can't the gatekeeper be your next con- person in concessions? Why can't the person in concessions be your next bartender? Why can't the bartender be your next manager? Your next manager could be your next ticket salesperson. There's so much talent within a venue, and it felt like all of the like the learning management systems and all these tools, they set up, you know, blockers when what technology should do is create more opportunities. You know, so that was what that was where we started to realize, oh wow, we can be a product to help every worker. Uh, our first hospitality brand was Lowe's Hotels. From there, we got into restaurants. Doghouse was one of our first customers out of Pasadena, California. From Doghouse, we sort of expanded out from there. You know, today about a third of our clients or restaurants and, you know, another third or retail. And again, a big part of why we do what we do every day is because, you know, one in two workers are a $400 parking ticket away from poverty. They are frontline, they are low wage. And uh, we think that if you tap into them the right way, you'll be a stronger, better, more connected workforce for it. Yeah, what um, what have you been hearing from restaurants in terms of what they're asking you to help them with these days as this is evolving? I mean, I know just personally kind of what I hear a lot and going back to the turnover to training is so important to get people quicker to up to date with if you're turning over that many frontline workers, you know, and you're trying not to have terrible service and you're charging people 10% more on their menu than you were this time a year ago to actually be able to quickly train people is, is become very vital and on the right, you know, things that they're looking for versus, you know, just automating them out of the restaurant. But I mean, what are some of the challenges now that you're kind of, you know, in terms from the trenches that you're hearing, you know, we need help with this right now. Yeah. I think everybody out of the gate is concerned about onboarding. How do we get, how do we get a new hire from, you know, day one to contribution as fast as possible? How do we cut that time? So onboarding is, I would argue, is sort of level one uh, for a lot of the a lot of the brands we're talking to. Level two has to do with things like LTOs and the quick in-time communication stuff. And again, we're still, this stuff is still biased to the restaurant, by the way. It's you know, the first two things are all about the restaurant, not about the employee. That's okay for the moment. But, you know, you got onboarding is all about getting you to know who we are, what we do. LTOs are all about how you wrap your head around talking points and tasting notes and 
how to communicate effectively. I would call almost consider those two level, levels like beginner, intermediate, advanced. The best brands right now are taking it to this kind of third level and they're rolling out culture content, mission, vision, core values, the standards they live by. You know, one of our brands is 60 Vines. They have games on mental health content. They have games on DEI. They have games on, they drop books. So we have on one auto, we have a partnership with Audible. We have over 2,500 books as games. So what do they do? They roll out games on top business books and top biographies. And during Pride Month, they roll out games on Pride. They're, it's about more than work. You know, so I think those are the three big ones. I think every restaurant brand is thinking, I got I to gotta upgrade my infrastructure on onboarding first. Then they're taking into how we drive more revenue. But the best organizations are all about like, we're in the people business. How do we develop our people? It has to, has to do with more than just what you do at work. Yeah, those front burner folks are interesting. I mean, they, uh, <laughs> I remember talking to Whiskey Cakes, another one of their concepts once, and they had this whole thing where they would give you a plant, you know, and if you, you had to have the plant live for like X amount of time and, you know, if they're going to hire you or not. And I just was thinking like, why? I don't, you know, I don't understand. I mean, I kind of get it. It seems almost uh, crazy, but you know, they were just looking for personalities over, um, you know, Jack Gibbons is always kind of, uh, his concept is a lot of restaurants are like this, where they hire to the human being versus the resume. Cause I know a lot of first to work kind of people, but it's interesting to see that evolve from the inside as you have, um, I imagine that's only going to continue. And, and for you all, I mean, what's, what's kind of the next step? I mean, where do you go from here? It sounds like there's a lot of personalization opportunities for operators, you know, a lot of working with them to, you know, use this technology the best way they can. But I mean, wh where do you head next? Yeah. You know, hopefully more clients, right? That's the game near term. <laughs> yeah. You know, we got to get more, we, you know, continuing yeah. to grow as a, as a tech company going into 2023 that, uh, like I said, I've never been more optimistic about uh, the, the space we're in, given how many organizations are talking more about people. The, I think the thing for us is kind of twofold. One, you know, we've gifted nearly $2 million in one huddle platforms and subscriptions to organizations that fight for vulnerable corners of our workforce. That's men and women returning from prison. That's homeless youth. That's, um, that's young people uh, that are victims of, you know, horrible tragedies like sexual trafficking. Uh, we've gifted our platforms because our workforce is only as strong as, you know, any worker in it. And uh, for us, we're continuing to develop our technology to create more opportunities for workers that might be on the edges. For example, that's why when we develop our app, it was really important that it's not just on iPhone, it's on Android. And it's not just on Android, it's on every Android. Doesn't matter the version, doesn't, you know, frontline workers may not have the iPhone 13 or 14. So, you know, we're really continuing to make sure that access and like any good game, Danny, like let the best person win and create opportunities. So that's, that's a big path for us. You know, there's obviously, I'm talking optimistically and positively about the environments that wake up every day and care about every worker. There's also some that don't. 
And it's our mission to continue to advocate to restaurant owners, business owners across every vertical that um, until you allow every worker the chance to compete, uh, you really aren't tapping into the full capability of your people. And when you do that, I mean, crazy stuff can happen. I've got, a, I've got a question for you on the labor front. Well, so much now when I'm hiring remote work is just a part of media. I mean, that's just how this is. And we just hired our first remote employee. We've always prior to that been some, a company that makes you come to the office. You know, and I still like the office. I'm still in here. I still see, you know, my sometimes co-host Ben down the hall. <laughs> But I mean, how do you, you know, how do you can just keep that connection going? I mean, it's like sometimes I'll find myself, I'm just kind of checking in, you know, to make sure they remember I exist, <laughs> you know, and things like that. I mean, how, how do you see that world evolving? Because it's kind of, you know, it's, it doesn't really apply to restaurants, of course, unless you're at the corporate level. But I mean, what are your thoughts on yeah. that level? Yeah, I mean, when I dated my my now wife, uh, she went to law school and I was in New Jersey. She was in D.C. And that was a tough three years not being around each other. But, you know, we had to figure it out. Uh, and if it was it was important enough to us, obviously, to make it work. I use this example a lot with other you know, in the tech space. I'm sure many suppliers out there have workforces that are all over. Um, you know, you have to build the system and put the work in to make sure that the relationship and the culture you're creating continues to, um, you know, be growing in the right direction. I don't think remote work is for every organization. You know, I think sometimes companies get a bad rap on this right now. Um, you know, as a leader of an organization, I have I know what, uh, what how I can bring my best self to work for my people every day. It's a hybrid environment. We have people in office every day. We have some people that are out. The people that are remote. There's, ex, you know, there's expectations and it's clear on what we both have to do to make the relationship work. Um, I think a lot of organizations that, you know, again, early, I talked to a lot of early tech companies that struggle with this. And I think it comes down to having difficult conversations, not fearing conflict, being transparent, you know, a Slack channel or a Microsoft Teams channel ain't going to fix it. <laughs> you know, the morning Zoom call ain't going to fix it. You know, those yeah. tools are part of it, but you got to be cool with the, with what the deal is. And if you're not, it's, it's, you know, oftentimes it's going to create more pain and chaos and confusion than, than anything. But I do think that some, some people are comfortable working remote. Uh, and I think some organizations are not comfortable with that. And I think both have the right to, you know, choose the path they want to choose. Yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting. I mean, it does seem like, yeah, as you mentioned, like some, companies get hit for not being open to it you know it's like well this is what works i don't know what to tell you yeah no i mean you for know. like for us you know for us like, there's not a day goes by we don't have you know the joke around here is like i have an idea so if i if i you know if i had an idea and i had to get everybody on a zoom call for it i'd probably forget the idea by the time i could do it you know so i i just know you know so our marketing team is here with with us you know four days a week in office cranking away um like I said, you got to know yourself and um, build your organization around it. So what's, um, what's your background, Sam, before One Huddle? What was, what was happening in your life? Yeah, so I worked in the sports industry and I was a, um, worked in the sports performance space. So worked uh, ran multiple facilities that trained pro athletes in the off season. 
So think NFL draft prep or Major League Baseball spring training prep. Um, I was a part of organizations that have trained, you know, hundreds of athletes for the NFL Combine in their respective seasons and had the privilege to work as a strength coach and around other coaches that every day they came to work, they were thinking, you know, how do we make this athlete jump, you know, two inches higher? How do we make them uh, a tenth of a second faster? How do we um, get them down to weight? It was a very performance-driven environment. And, you know, I ran sales teams in multiple stops uh, along, you know, in that in that space. It's why to this day, a lot of people look at what we're doing that know me and say, oh, you just stole everything from the strength conditioning world and put it into workforce training. And I go, yep. Uh, that's all. At the end of the day, we're just a bunch of coaches here trying to make athletes run faster and perform better. Um, but, yeah, I had, had a lot of fun, you know, working in the working in the world of high performance. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't. I don't think I know anyone who's ever done that. I um, I'm a failed former sports writer myself, but uh, did not. I uh, was never around NFL athletes in the combine, so it's kind of cool. Um, obviously, the name I think makes a lot of sense when <laughs> when you look at your background. Are you and are you from the New Jersey area, or it's? Um, yeah, I grew up. I grew up in Miami. The weather's a little better, uh, better, you know, better down there. But uh, I grew up in Miami, and you know, now our office is in Newark, Newark, New Jersey. When I similar places. Yeah, yeah, perfect. It was you know twenty five degrees. Of, I, I move really fast. Talk about speaking of sprinting. You know, I sprint from the car to the office. Uh, <laughs> that's my forty yard dash in the morning uh, to and from work. But uh, yeah, proud to be based in Newark. One of our earliest investors was. Um, some uh, big organizations here in Newark. And, you know, when I started up one huddle, I said, well, we're a tech company. We have to go to San Francisco and we moved to San Francisco and we, you know, did the whole startup Silicon Valley thing and got early investors and got this thing kind of moving. And then I came back to, I came to New York and said, okay, there's a lot of, and, you know, we're selling to enterprises. So I said, New York's probably better for us and moved to New York because, again, I thought the next thing is, what do you, you know, you got to get a WeWork on, in, in the city and, you know, you're, you're kind of following the leader. And we got lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time and had the CEO of Audible, Don Katz, said to me, what do you think about moving to Newark? And I, you know, I, don't, I didn't know anything about Newark. And he said, well, what do you think about free office space? I said, I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> and uh, yeah. you know, we moved the company from New York to Newark, and you know we've been here since. Cool. All right, Sam. Well, I appreciate all the time and insight today. But before I let you go, though, I just want to maybe I'll leave the floor open for you to kind of maybe tell people where they can connect with you, where they can learn more. Of course, they can listen to this podcast. But if they want to follow up with you and reach in and learn more about One Huddle and maybe how it could even help their restaurant, uh, where could they find you? Sure. Thanks, Danny. Yeah. If anybody wants to look, if you want to learn more or see a little bit more under the hood on how One Huddle can help your restaurant brand to onboard, develop, fire up workers, you can go to www.thenumberonehuddle.co. So One Huddle, like a football huddle, .co. So you have no M at the end there. <laughs> oh, it's a tech thing. Contrary. It's faster. Speed. It's all about speed. <laughs> 
Although I bet if you type it in com, you'd probably find it, right? It'd be one of those things. Unless maybe I'll go and buy that so that you have to, I could sell it to you afterwards. You know, someone tried to do that to us once. Actually, it was terrible. Um, the internet's full of scary Shortcuts. people. Shortcuts, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, well, Sam, thank you so much. Uh, really appreciate the talk. We we'll look forward to hearing what you guys are up to and following the company's trajectory. You know, but as always, uh, for everybody out there listening, we appreciate it. We'll see you next time.